Happy Sunday morning, Salt Lake City, Provo, Orem, and Colville. You're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture, a weekly meandering through the arts, culture, and social issues that shape the greater Salt Lake Metroplex. I am your host, Christian Anderson. With me is my co-pilot, co-host, and uh, friend, music maven, and cultural aficionado, Christy Marcy. Christy, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing just I fine. I feel like it's been a long time since we've been together in this studio. Well, we missed last week, but it's been two... Oh, actually, you missed the week before, didn't I did. you? I did. I went... Yeah. Alex and I just uh, handled it with just the two of us. Yeah, it was like uh, it was like the captain of the Enterprise without the vice captain i don't know which generation to do do we do next generation you know i've never seen a star trek you've never seen a star trek there's only no. one star trek i've never so, seen a star trek i've never seen a star war i've never anything with star in it automatically disqualified what, what, for me what about a star is born uh only the one ghost written by dorothy parker uh the original the original you have not seen the lady gaga version i have not uh. no i feel like bradley cooper is a poor substitute for even chris christopherson which was the pre-remake so not for me well um uh, manning uh, the the data of our starship enterprise next generation uh producer alex is here how are you doing producer alex you know i can't complain uh, so you're wearing your Utes shirt, but it's a third, even though we're airing on Sunday, it's recorded on a Thursday. We break that whole fourth wall thing it's here in Halloween our radio costume. show. You're a Utes fan for Halloween? He's a Utes fan for Oh yeah, for happy Halloween. Halloween. Uh, you're a Utes fan for Halloween? Uh, no, not for Halloween. I didn't dress up for Halloween and just haven't Why's done laundry. Why does your face so look like that, Alex? I'm, I'm just kidding. Because I was born with it? <laughs> <laughs> Why the long face, my friend? Aww. Why the long face? Uh, so, uh, post-trick-or-treat, um, I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about something that is a treat for all of the citizens and visitors of the greater Salt Lake Metroplex, specifically Salt Lake City, and that is your local library. That's right. Digest that. A treat 365 days a year, although uh, they might be closed on particular holidays. We'll find out in this hour. Um, so one of my good friends, Peter Bromberg, is here. He is the director of the Salt Lake City Library System. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? Christian, I'm great. Uh, so yesterday, I, you know, we, we get drinks from time to time. There was the one time you forgot your scarf after we had gone uh, to Undercurrent, and I rescued it for you and returned it like the chivalrous gentleman that I am. But you gave a presentation to the arts and culture community yesterday at lunch and I, you know, I, I you know, we hang out a couple times a year, but hearing you talk about what libraries do, uh, it made me realize that even as a person who makes his living in arts and culture, um, I forget all of the things that a library does and it's in, and I think that the model of what a library is today is so different than what it was for what a lot of our listeners were growing up. So I was just like, I, I gave you a call and I said, Peter, I need you to take the fire that you had yesterday, bring it to the radio and get people inspired about their, uh, their local library. Cause there is a lot going on. Uh, so let's, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a quick, a quick poll to our colleagues here. Uh, Christy, yeah. as uh, a non-millennial, as a, are you a Gen Xer? You're a Gen Xer? I'm on the cusp, Here. really, but I identify as a Gen Xer. Okay, as, mm-hmm. a, as a Gen Xer, uh, when I say library, what do you think of? I think of books. I think of books. Okay. I do. Books, okay. 
Millennial Alex, when I say library, what do you think of? I also think of books. Think of books. All right. Copycat. Peter, as the executive director of the Salt Lake City (laughs) Library System, when I say library, what do you think of? I think of community and learning and social connection. Where are the books? Well, that's a part of all that, isn't it? You know, the books are a mechanism, that right? I wow. mean, it's a technology, right? A, a means to an end. I it wish you, I wish our listeners could see uh, millennial producer Alex's face. It was like, you know, it's basically like you just read something out of a fortune cookie, a good fortune cookie, <laughs> when they used to have fortunes and didn't just have like weird positive affirmations like, you're good. What happened to fortune cookies? Uh, anyways, so Peter, tell us a little bit, tell us about the Salt Lake City Public Library System. Um, and perhaps, I mean, I know that you are the Salt Lake Public, uh, Salt Lake City Public Library Director, but mm-hmm. I also know that you've worked with the county too, mm-hmm. and, and we are a, you know, we broadcast outside of just the city. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, libraries in general, what they're at, and a little bit specifically about the Salt Lake City Public Library System. I said 365 days a year. I don't know. Maybe you're closed for Christmas. I don't know. We can find out some of the basics, the deets. Sure. Well, um, you know, the city library system, um, we are a uh, $23 million operation with eight locations, open 504 hours a year with over 300 employees and over 3 million visitors. You know, it's, it's we are... You have uh, a lot of metrics. Yeah, there's a lot. And, and I, it's, it's boring to start with metrics. But I'd like to offer a reframe to help people think about the fact that um, we are actually one of the, the biggest tourist destinations in the, in the Salt Lake metro area. We have people coming from all over the world to see our buildings and et cetera. But, you know, the, talking about like... That word association of when you say library, you know, people think books. You know, that's that's um, very common, of course, and we still have books. Um, but one of the things I like to do is to uh, what I what I like to say is update people's nostalgia because people tend to love libraries, and and in fact, the city library is one of the most uh, trusted and. Uh, and beloved institutions in the city, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. And people love it, but, but they don't always know what we do. And so that was partly what yesterday was about. So there's this nostalgia. There's a warm feeling. You might remember a time where you went to a library as a kid and you had a story time or you found a book and you curled up in a, in a nook somewhere. When I was a kid, I, I remember going to the library and um, take, taking out a record and putting it on the phonograph and putting on headphones. So that, that dates me as a Gen Xer right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think but, the fact that you use yeah. the word phonograph <laughs> means you're... Yeah, what comes <laughs> before, right. before yeah, boomers. Yeah, That's, exactly. You're a right. member of the greatest, greatest generation. generation. Right. Yeah. 33 RPM. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, those, but those memories, that, those nostalgic memories that many of us have... Um, you know, they're, they're because the, the library had a certain feel to it. It was a space of learning and discovery and connection and community um, and, and joy and, uh, and freedom for kids. It's one of those places where you come in and you're free to just kind of explore and pull things off the shelf. And, um, and all that's still true. It's just that it looks and feels a little differently now, right? So um, in the old days, perhaps you came in and... and we supported learning through books because that's that's where knowledge was. But but now we we support learning in many ways, and and not just learning through consuming, but learning also through creating and doing. So we have things like creative labs, where if you come into the uh, the downtown library or one of our branches, um, you might find a professional sound booth where we could be actually recording this this interview in the sound booth, and we we their KRCL and other radio stations. We'll broadcast out of there, and I invite you guys to do the same some Saturday morning. Hear that, Producer Alex? Yeah. You could go Come down and down. actually uh, polish up your game a little there bit you so you can get a bit quicker on the buttons, yeah. you know, and do some right. practice. <laughs> and 
I probably need it too. So, as a matter of fact, why don't, when we're done here, why don't we all head over and we'll uh, maybe we'll record like a cover of Moxie Fruvis together. Yeah, sure. Know? But yeah, people are recording albums, podcasts, oral histories, but also there's video editing and 3D printing, and we have sewing machines and video cameras, and you know, it's all sorts of ways in which we're helping people to learn, but all not just again through consuming, but also through creation. Uh, so I think you know. So obviously, I came out of a museum background, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because the the from the government standpoint, our overarching government uh, entity is the Institutes for Museum and Library Science, mm-hmm. um, and could, because there's a lot of similarities in terms of the history of these structures. Uh, I always say that sort of libraries were a place of informal learning that was sort of based historically on texts. Museums were areas of informal learning that were historically based on objects, and you know there was overlap of that. Um, but as you know, as the the rise of the internet and the way that we consume information now, um, both of those institutions are are kind of melding together, mm-hmm. and it's how do you fuse in experience, experiential learning, and, and a broader sense of, to your point, of a community center and a safe place, as opposed to, as opposed to sort of what the pillars of our our field were. Um, but you, I mean, I do think that there's some nostalgia, and I do think, like you said, everybody. I mean, to this day, you know, you think of maybe going to a story time or something. So how do you how do you do you take up the challenge of reframing a library or a museum in the 21st century, while holding on to some of those cherished things that are still a, a function? So while holding on to, to, to tradition while adapting to something new. Sure, and and one of the things I talked about yesterday is that there's some things that don't change. Um, and those are our values and our mission. So we're about learning. We're about community. We're about connection. We're about exploration. We're about discovery. And these things don't change, right? We're also about service and creating an experience for people. And whether it was 100 years ago or today, those things are kind of inviolate, right? And, and so what we do is we, we, do, we and every other organization in the 21st century, if they're thriving, is reinterpreting what does that look like, you know? I mean, I think about um, something like, you know, in in the old days, if you needed to get from A to B, maybe your only option was to get on a train, right? Mm-hmm. And then along came the automobile, and then along came high-speed trains, and then along came uh, uh, um, air travel. Yeah, that was the other one, right? And now um, we've got scooters. And now we have jetpacks, right? And we have, right? we we have, have jet flying cars, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and Aqua shoes. All that, all the good stuff. So, so what didn't change is, you know, people need to get from A to B. Um, but how we do it changes. So similarly with, with uh, libraries, how we learn, how we connect, how we discover, um, because the world's knowledge historically was really just available in books you know, for a few hundred years, that's how we did discovery and learning. But now, now we have the Internet, we have online classes, we have creative labs, we have ways of bringing people together to learn um, in different modes. So it's still about learning. It just looks differently. And so to, to thrive, libraries, and we've been doing this for 30 years now uh, since computers and the Internet, we've been reinterpreting what those values and what that mission is and, and bringing that value to the community. But it looks a little bit different. And that's what I mean by updating nostalgia is creating new pictures in people's heads about, about what that means. So, Christy, yes, um, I'm going to ask you a, a three-part question okay. in the tradition of the. I'm from Minnesota, the the Lutheran three-point sermon. Um, so, I already asked you, like, when I say an association of library for your books, but what are some of like, what are some of the first memories that you have of being an active library user? Uh, and then, I guess it's just a two-part one. Um, that's two, three. Um, 
your own children, you know, one of whom is now in college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did you how did you think about the resource uh, of a library for you know for your kids as they've been growing up? And then lastly, part three, and how do you use the library now? So past the ghosts, like I need to take the, notes. the okay. ghosts of of past, past presence and parenting and currently. Current. Um. So. I had an interesting, but I don't think unusual relationship with the library when I was a kid. I grew up in a town that had a Carnegie library, and I had a mother who was largely not around. And so I spent a lot of time kind of being parented by librarians in the absence of my mother. Um, so I I learned to read quite young and uh, and would just spend hours kind of keeping to myself in the in the corner of the library there's actually um a really great this american life about libraries and one of the women who uh, works for this american life now talks about how she didn't realize that her family was homeless until she was much older because she didn't realize that they were staying in the library for so long because they had nowhere else to go and then, like, she reconnects with the library, and, and it's really lovely, and I would encourage everyone to watch it or listen to it. My experience is not quite that drastic, but I spent a lot of time in libraries as a kid. Um, as a parent, like, my kids did story time and that sort of stuff um, at the Smith Library in South Salt Lake because that was the one that was in within walking distance mm-hmm. of where we lived at the time. Um, I, much to my dismay, uh, did not raise readers neither of my kids are readers um but i am and so i um i still use the library quite a lot i really love the libby app uh that will deliver books directly to my kindle that's my favorite thing in the world i used to before i realized that the public library had um an app that would do ebooks. I spent probably what I have to imagine is like a moderate to severe cocaine habits worth of money on <laughs> ebooks. So I'm very grateful for for the library's Libby app. Well, we did a couple different things to follow up with there, uh, Peter. Let's let's start with the Libby app yeah. because I don't even know anything about it. So mm. uh, let's roll that into perhaps we're talking about 21st century technologies. We've got uh, Millennial Alex behind the board. And what are some of the things that, the, that our fancy phones can do to access the library better? Sure. Well, you know, this, this gets to your question, too, about being open 365 days. So our, oh. our physical buildings, which are open um, not quite 365 days, um, uh, but we do have the app, which and our website, where you can actually get things like ebooks and audiobooks and um, access classes like lynda.com and download local music through our through Hum, which is here Utah Music. We have a hundred albums of local music up there. That is accessible twenty four seven. So that is an extension of the library that that goes right into your home, right into your pocket. Um, the Libby app is it's a fantastic app, and actually, um, for people who have both a city library card and a Salt Lake County library card. Um, and, and we honor each other's um, cards. Uh, you can get ebooks and audiobooks through the Libby app for you know for either. So if you look in one of our libraries and doesn't and it's not available, you can grab it from the other library. Um, and it's just a way that uh, you can download ebooks, audiobooks, um, quick and easy. You can place holds on them. You'll just get a little notice when they're available. 
And again, it's just a way of extending that. Um, and we, we've always provided books and reading, but here it is in your pocket, and it's available in whatever format you want to download it in, music, books, audio, et cetera. You're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. With us today is Peter Bromberg, who is the executive director of the Salt Lake City Public Library System. Uh, he sits atop his ivory tower in the main library building <laughs> that Moisha Softy designed. Looking out, speaking of, softly. Yeah. yeah, I have to say, Peter, you have Just, a great library voice. Oh, thank you. Here, yeah. um, I should really be speaking from down here. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Christy, another one of the things that you just said, and I, I remember this from yesterday, is is you know, libraries is stepping in for not necessarily either parenting or social services. Um, I just discovered yesterday that the library has social workers that are that are staffed there. All the, you know, every day that they're open, mm-hmm. um, and the trend of hiring you know doctors and medical professionals uh, to staff libraries, and and so would you talk a little bit about both of those? Yeah, actually, there's a real trend across the country right now, particularly with urban city libraries, um, to be hiring social workers. And actually, the city library in Salt Lake has been ahead of the curve, and I think we actually have a, a better model because we don't hire social workers, we partner with the Volunteers of America, an incredible local organization. And the VOA, who hires and trains social workers, and they're professionals, um, we provide them with space in the library. So space on the main floor where they can do uh, interactions with with uh, our patrons, and over time they can build up trust and and then be in a better position to um, make a difference in people's lives than if they were just trying to to do um, approach people on the, on the street. Um, and then we also give them administrative space up on the fl- fifth floor and a lot of storage space for things like clothes and hygiene products, etc. And so it's really this great win win partnership in that the the library uh, and and the taxpayers of Salt Lake City don't need to hire people to do that. Um, we're providing in-kind space, and the VOA, who are the professionals in that area, provide the staff. And it's just a great partnership. They work really well with our staff and help train us and, and build our skill set. And again, you know, that's in contrast to um, other models where libraries are actually hiring staff. So um, we've been doing this, I think, for eight years now with VOA. It's just a fantastic partnership. really um, makes a difference in people's lives. And so what about the – so you said earlier – that and this goes back to an old um, IMLS. Well, they yeah. probably redo this survey all the time about what are your most trusted sources of information and sort of you know cable news and newspapers somewhere down <laughs> here and up you go. And museums and libraries uh, are sort of up at the top. They're seen as places mm-hmm. that are a little bit more neutral and factual based and haven't quite had the um, editorializing of some of the other ways that we get uh, data. So you so I mean people who are. Um, might not have insurance or people mm-hmm. who have medical questions or for whatever reason, um, you know, it's interesting. You get sick and you get worried and you have a symptom or whatever. And and at this point, it becomes finding out information on what you have so you can figure out what to do. And so you obviously, if the library is a trusted source of information, people go there. Mm-hmm. And so I I mean, I sort of knew about the I knew about the social worker side of it. But the the medical professionals, the doctors and nurses, that was a whole new one to me yesterday. Yeah. And so some libraries are hiring, uh, you know, nurse practitioners and things like that. We we are we don't uh, do that per se. But as that Pew report, I think that you're referencing came out, um, it showed that public libraries are a, the go to place for people when they're looking for uh, trusted medical information. Hmm. And and again, it, it does go to the fact that, that libraries as an institution are like one of the most trusted institutions in the United States. And there's also this this 
um, aspect of they're, they're not being really a psychological barrier to coming into the library that we really we welcome everyone but we also um, work hard to create that environment where everyone feels welcome and so sometimes going to a, a doctor's office a hospital any kind of a professional or, or governmental office or agency there's a little bit of a barrier um, uh, psychologically um, it, you know but libraries and this actually came up yesterday in conversation at, at the event as one of the attendees was saying that they love to have programs at the library because that that barrier isn't there and they get many more people attending than say in some other environments um, so it is again that's just one of those roles that again I don't many people that might not realize but we are a key um, player in in the healthcare field in that we you know we're that not the, the the first step but that second step after say someone gets a diagnosis or they're they come in saying hey I, my doctor just told me I'm pre diabetic and um, I need some help and we can direct them to articles and to books and hear some things about diet and this is I mean this is very common someone comes back six months later and says oh, I got my blood sugar back and I'm doing great and thank you for providing that information it's it, it's the kind of thing that happens every day that might be below the radar for a lot of people. I think um, one of the interesting things that people may not know about the Salt Lake Library is that there was an assistant librarian who wrote this short story essay that was then run in the New York Times called What They Didn't Teach Us in Library School, like, what, 12 or 13 years yeah, ago about yeah. how libraries were changing yeah, and becoming epicenters for people experiencing homelessness and that sort of thing. I would encourage everybody to read it. Yeah, and Emilio Estevez um, read that article 13 years ago and recently made a, a, a wonderful little independent movie called The Public. Well, we, I went to the screening with you. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and so Emilio was on hand there, and Chip Ward drove up from Tour Utah, and they had never met, but they'd been emailing each other for 13 years. And so we had a nice panel discussion after the film. And, and they filmed it at the Cincinnati Library. They did. I know. So my friend Natalie, who has been on this show, has a friend from high school who called her and said, hey, I'm going to be in Salt Lake with my boyfriend for this movie thing. Do you want to come to this movie premiere? So Natalie went to the premiere. But what she didn't know at the time was that her friend from high school was dating Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> so she had like, you know. Was that her minutes. friend? Because he brought, he had a, he had a companion with him. That was her friend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I was, Small world. I did want to ask, like, but I didn't. And no one in the audience asked, like, why? Why didn't you shoot it here? Why didn't you? Shoot yeah, it? we have a beautiful library. Yeah, I don't know. Man. Um, I'll I'll text him later and ask. Yeah, him. he lives in Ohio, so uh, I think well, that's why. There you go. There you go. Uh, we all make mistakes. By the way, that was the third of five Breakfast Club actors that I had met. So wow. I'm, I got a bucket list. Like I'm coming for Ali Sheedy and then and uh, and the other guy, yeah. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, no, I met him. We met him. Oh, not that one. Yeah. Okay. And Molly Judd, and Judd, Judd Ryan. Yeah, smoke Holt. up Johnny. Then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Judd, Judd Nelson. Right? Judd, Judd Nelson. Nelson. Judd Nelson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> millennial, Millennial Alex. Uh, sort of a similar question to what I asked Christy. Although we can cut out the being a parent in libraries, unless there's a whole side of you that you don't share on the radio, uh, which I shouldn't assume. Um, but a little bit of a, a, you know, what are some of your your early memories about how you used a library? And then how, how do you use libraries now? Uh, so some of my earliest memories and some of my fondest memories, actually, of going to the library, uh, it's kind of how I like was able to explore a lot of my interests early. I, uh, as the son of an economist and an accountant my, my parents were very frugal yeah they they <laughs> they they weren't so keen on paying for a comic book subscription and so 
going to the library, I could find comic books and just sit there and read them and, you know, kind of get my, my superhero nerdy itch scratched. And so that's kind of where, you know, I was able to express that side of myself as, as a, a young person. Um, and unfortunately to, for the second question, I don't think that I've had too much experience recently with a library. And so, but you know, this, this is some, I mean, I just downloaded the Libby app. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is something that I'm looking at changing because I am interested in going again and like re-experiencing a lot of these things. I just haven't been recently. Well, how long have you been out of college? I've been out of college for three years three now. Years. I have a hypothesis that the way that you use a library during college is very different than at other points in your life. That they, I don't think that the libraries, at least in my experience of my years of college, have quite the same community center aspect. Mm -hmm. They're quieter study spaces, and they're definitely more reference material for people who are studying. Sure. And so I think when you get out of school, it takes a while to sort of retrain to what a library. That's my, that is my unscientific hypothesis. Well, you know, Christian, you're a very smart guy. Oh. Um, <laughs> but two points about that, and, and one is that that's the, historically that's been the trend is that we have – people who come to public libraries right up till they go off to college and then after they get out of college we kind of lose them till they become parents again and that's mm. historically what's interesting is over the last five to seven years um, there's actually was a pew report about this that millennials are now the largest use using demographic using public libraries mm. millennials there's so many articles about that if you google libraries millennials you'll see um Millennials are, have come back to libraries. They love us. They love the fact that they can get the e-books, the audio books, that, that there's creative labs, that there's a ton of programming, right? I mean, mm -hmm. things like uh, you know the HumFest that we just had, music festivals, art festivals, gallery space, but also study space. If you just want to come someplace, get a cup of coffee and read or study for a test or study for an exam, mm -hmm. um, it, it offers so much. And the millennials have queued into this. Um, and I could hypothesize why that might be. And I think, unfortunately, part of it is that, um, you know, millennials are, are in an economy now um, that's unlike the economy that their parents were in at the same age, right, where uh, student debt is, is just through the roof. And um, so I, I think part of that is that, we're, that libraries have changed and are, off, are much more vibrant places. And I think that millennials, given the, the economy, um, also appreciate having a place that they can go to experience art, culture, um, a learning, discovery, connection, where it doesn't necessarily cost a buck to get in the door. Uh, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. With us today is Peter Bromberg, the executive director of Salt Lake City's public library system. Um, we'll get into the programs uh, in a minute because mm -hmm. I know that there's some all sorts of pro I mean so many programs. I mean, I want to talk about some of the business help and some of the stuff that you do. But I'm, I was trying to think back, and Christy and Alex, I think this was when you were here, when we were talking about neighborhoods and sort of what makes a neighborhood. It was you, because we were talking about parks and this. And so one of the things that I said is, is you know, things that define a community, like a neighborhood, an area. Uh, and we were talking about Murray and parks. And I was sort of saying that you know, growing up at this, the, in this in this town in Minnesota, one of the things that sort of hit my community hard was losing its post office because a post office was a, a, a marker mm -hmm. of a particular community in that you had a post office. Um, but the library, I think, is another one of those markers. I think that a library um, has a strong tie to a particular neighborhood and a community, mm -hmm. and in a sense that um, losing a library or adding a library has a disproportional 
pull to what a neighbor the fabric of a neighborhood than a restaurant, a coffee shop, a gas station. Mm-hmm. You know. There's actually a great example of this happening in Salt Lake County right now because um, when they tore down the Granite High School in South Salt Lake, people were very upset. It was an old building, and by all accounts, it had to come down. But one of the things that, Gar- this, that the city and the county were able to do to kind of make people feel better is promise them a library in that space, in that neighborhood that's now going in there with all of the new construction houses they're they're putting a library right in the middle of it Mm -hmm. Um, yeah which means they're closing another one on the columbus library on 5th east and 20 is it smith they're closing smith and smith yeah well anyway so they're closing two to get one but it did people keep asking about when's the library coming so um not that you are here to speak for the county library chain mm-hmm. peter i would never uh, i would never ask sure. you to do that but but a little bit about the the philosophy of that concept of neighborhood and neighborhood anchors and why you know i mean i i don't want to be either pro or con you know uh garbet homes development but you know why are they giving them why are they giving them a library and not a, a coffee shop or a gas station yeah um I'll speak to two things. One, there's an, uh, a fabulous book that came out last year called Palaces for the People, and um, it's Eric Kleinenberg. He's been on. He's been doing a lot. Of, was on the radio a lot of articles a few months back about this, um, and he is a anthropologist, sociologist from from I think Columbia University, and he did this research around social infrastructure. So we all know what physical infrastructure is, and we know we need it, like bridges, roads. There's a thing that as a society they they. They, they underlie, you know, the, the commerce and the connections. We have to have those things. What, uh, what Kleinenberg found is that social infrastructure is just as important. And social infrastructure is thing that, that helps us to connect, to, to, to feel like a neighborhood, to be neighbors with each other. He did this amazing research. Um, there was a heat wave in, in, I believe it was Chicago, a couple years back. And, um, and he, he looked at, like, where people um, were, you know, stayed healthy and where people passed away due to the heat. And what he found was that the answer was where there was good social infrastructure, neighbors took care of each other and people survived and people, you know, got through it together. And as he got interested in that, he started discovering that public libraries are at the heart, are like, they're really like, you know, what social infrastructure is all about. We create it. And it's a fabulous book. He go into the details. Then American Enterprise Institute in the last few months um, also issued a report that talked about how when, when we live near certain social amenities and public libraries was one of the ones that they talk about, that we feel safer. We feel we have a higher trust in government. We have a higher level of connection with our neighbors. Now, why that happens is an interesting question. I don't know if there's a solid answer, but we do know that when a library is built somewhere, these are the ripple effects that happen. It's like strengthening the fabrics, right? Um, you can um, I can picture the threads going out. Are uh, you the warp or the weft? Yes, or I both. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, but you do have sewing machines. We do. And sergers. And we do. And mm-hmm. you can check sewing machines out as well. And um, it's one of those things that I wanted to mention about, like, but we don't just check out the books now. And we were talking about this when we were walking in here, <laughs> Christian, that we check out things like ukuleles and sewing machines and telescopes. We also check out laptops and hotspots um, because there's still 17, 20% of people who don't have access to broadband. And so whether you're studying for a test or we have... Um, kids who like you know you need to do homework now you need a computer if you don't have one what are you going to do so they'll come to the library during the day and we support them with the homework help um, with the public computing but they can also check out uh, hotspots and things like that so that they're able to 
to do their work at home as well. Do you know what else they have at the library, Christian, that would have been so useful to us in our former lives at the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art? Um, contemporary art? Uh, donors? <laughs> do they have donors? <laughs> uh, what, um, what, what, what they have is kits for book clubs oh. that include all of the books and like materials for discussion uh, and everything. So when we were running our book club at Umoka, we could have just gone to the library and picked up everything we needed and not done all of that emotional labor ourselves. That's true. We did. Uh, we ran it for about a year, uh-huh. right? And uh, so we ran a book club. Uh, we did deviate from the library and we held it at a drinking establishment. Back we do then. that too. Yeah. Back oh. then it was Finca. Um, but yeah, it would have been it would have been helpful. It would have been much easier. We definitely crammed those books at the last second, uh-huh. and we we would end up with usually a good eight to ten. I don't know what a good robust book club that a pro, that an institution like ours is trying to do. We had about eight to ten regulars, mm-hmm. and the Salt Lake Tribune one time misprinted that we were going to have the author, and it was the author of what is the book? She grew up in the conservative Mormon community in Tara North Westover. Yes, mm-hmm. and and educated. So, Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they said that she was going to be there. She's not going to be there. <laughs> and and I looked and, and none of our none of our marketing materials or emails said that. I don't know where the trip got that, but man, there was like forty people there. That was after I left, I think. Oh. Yeah. So it was yeah, so I had to run that being like, She's not gonna be here, but we'll still have a fine conversation. But it did get a lot of people. And again, to update the nostalgia, the the city library does have book clubs um, at at, uh, drinking establishments. Uh, Mm. Proper Brewing up in the avenues. We've we've done a a number of things up there with them. Uh, Yeah. And then I forgot what else I was going to say. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you I what. Don't know. I'll do a reset, and I will give you some time. Anytime, I don't know what I'm going to say. I say you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM, The Zone. This is SLC Culture. We're talking to Peter Bromberg, the executive director of the Salt Lake City Public Library System. But he is a he's a man that's a, a whiz for, for libraries uh, and in-demand nationwide to go give talks and to empower communities to think about what a library can be in the 21st century. Let's talk a little bit about the programs, because... Uh, you know, uh, Millennial Alex has an incredible business idea. I don't know what it is, but I'm assuming that he does. And maybe it's something to do with comic books and Nova Scotian sea ditties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, perhaps yeah. it's um, perhaps it's getting fan Thursday apparel. I don't know what Alex's thing is, but, you know, he doesn't have a lot. He doesn't quite know how to do the business plan or any of that. Can the library help Millennial Alex with his his fledgling business? Why, we certainly can, Christian. Thank you for asking. Sure. Uh, Yeah. You know, I share a couple stories about this, but it's an everyday occurrence. I mean, one story I shared yesterday, I believe, was Molly Corman, who has the business Brownies, 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 out there on 11th and Sugar I love it. Brownies, exclamation point. Brownies, exclamation point. Brownies, exclamation point. What do they have there? Really good brownies. (laughs) I know. Do you wonder if anyone ever goes in and be like, well, you know, I know it's brownies, brownies. Do you have cookies? Do you have, I mean, get out. Yeah. 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 Um, but Molly had come in. She was trying to, you know, work on her business plan, and to, so she can get a loan from Zion's Bank. And they'd sent her our way, and and um, yeah, so we're able to do things like we have a, a database. They're going to get real wonky. We have a database called RevUSA, but it lets you do some really cool stuff, like 
put a put a mark on the on the map, say maybe where you want to site your brownie business, draw a radius around that two miles, five miles, and say, okay, within that radius, like how many people are there, and what's the disposable income, and what do they spend their income on? Is it skiing? Is it brownies? You know, um, how many other bakeries are in that radius? How many other bakeries have gone out of business in that radius? Mm-hmm. And so you can really get a lot of level of detail that you can say, okay, you know, you know, we need to have this much disposable income within this radius, et cetera. Here's proof of concept that other bakeries have done well, et cetera. And she, we helped her do her business plan. She got the loan, and um, and uh, she has authorized me to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also mentioned Finca. And uh, Wendy Evans, who mm-hmm. um, co-owns Finca, along with a number of other, I'll, I'll just do commercials for them. You sure. Know, with, uh, so with Scott, Scott and Company. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I ran into her at an event a few months back and um, just chatting with her. And, she's, and I, I hadn't met her before. So I said, oh, I'm the director of the library. She said, I'm launching a new business from your creative lab. I said, oh, really? Tell me about it. <laughs> and so she's uh, launched a business called, um, actually, I think it's Dynix. Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. Uh, but it's a, it's a, re- it's a, a business that, that is for restaurateurs mm-hmm. um, to help restaurateurs. And she said, yeah, I'm in your creative lab, learned how to do the Adobe Creative Suite, doing her marketing materials. And so what I love about that is that here's someone who's not, who doesn't lack for means, right, um, and doesn't lack for business acumen or knowledge or experience, and is still in the library, and we're still providing a platform and assistance for her um, to learn some new skills and, and develop a marketing plan and create those materials. Um, but every day, again, we're, we're, we're partnering with SCORE. Um, we're doing all sorts of business classes and also just one-on-one consulting, um, and also with a foundation center for nonprofits who are looking for money or grants. Um, we are a uh, official foundation center site, um, and that means that you can come into the main library or Sprague and get some uh, some assistance from a trained librarian who can help you find money. So I'm going to do uh, in the industry what they call a, a segue. So, uh, so Peter, you said that there is a portion of your site that is dedicated to local music, right? Hum. It's called Hum. Hum.slcpl.org. And Hum stands for Hear Utah Music? It does. Okay. And there's 100 albums of local musicians. We listened to some yesterday. But you know what? What if you want to go see some live music? You know what you would do then? You would talk to our music maven and general music knowledge uh, former slash still music critic. Recreational critic. Recreational Uh recreational music critic. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Christy Marcy, to tell us what to go to do to see and to hear on the to do and don't do for music and entertainment around Salt There's Lake City. Not a lot this week. I've got to be honest. I, I was surprised um, because last week I went to four shows in a row or something like that, which is why I'm still so tired today. It takes a lot of recover for me. Uh, but there is a couple of things. So um, Tuesday, November 5th, Ra Ra Riot is at Urban Lounge. Friday, November 8th, uh, Brent Cobb, and I like the name of his band, is so it's Brent Cobb and them, and the country guy. He is uh, the cousin of uh, the well-known and respected producer Dave Cobb. So Dave Cobb has produced all of his albums. I just know corn on the... Uh, mm-hmm, very clever. That's at the stateroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that same night, the 8th, uh, NACO and Medicine for the People is at the depot. They headlined Red Butte earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then November 9th, and the only reason I'm mentioning this at all is because last week I cheated on us. And I went to a live recording of another radio show last week. I know. I went to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me at the Echoes. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's okay. So, right. Like, it's on my 
laminated list of five radio shows I would cheat on this one with. So, yeah, um, no, you know, I, I mean, wait, wait is based out of Chicago, right? That's right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Utah nine, but I'm only like a Chicago seven. Like, it's okay, I got gotcha. you, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you're, so. no, you're, yeah, that's a, that's a good looking radio crew there. Mm. Uh, so speaking of that, um, uh, one of the panelists the night that I went to wait, wait, don't tell me was Bobcat Goldthwaite, mm. and he mentioned the band The Aquabat. Uh, and they are, and producer Alex loves the Aquabats. Um, he was is saying, that a, "Is that a Aquabat hand?" He was very excited. Yeah, this is the uh, Aquabats hand sign. Yeah, it's the are they? They're a they're they're a Utah County Provo. Yeah, that's thing. what he Bob like. You know, of course, anytime anybody comes to Salt Lake, the the Mormon jokes are unavoidable, right? And so he was saying that he, w- I guess he went on tour with the Aquabats mm-hmm. at some point, and they are LDS, mm-hmm. and um, he found it insulting that they never once tried to convert him. So, anyway, they are playing The Complex on November 9th. I didn't say there were good Mormon jokes, I just said there were lots of Mormon jokes. No, my, uh, my good friends uh, Zeke and Annalisha were good friends of the Aquabats. I know they're, they're, pop, they're popular here in the, in the Utahs. So. so, you are telling me that you are three degrees of separation from Bobcat Goldthwaite? Um, y- yes. That's impressive. Yeah, how many how many degrees do you have? Seven? Is that what it is? How many? Six, Six. degrees of separation. Mm. Uh huh. Hmm. But it's a it's like a it's a some sort of parabolic curve, right? I don't know. I don't know. What? So why why the Aquabats, Millennial Alex? Well, so I grew up a big ska fan, mm-hmm. and the Aquabats back in the early '90s were ska. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they were big in that OC kind of the beginning of the third wave ska and uh hmm. so that's kind of how i got into them they've kind of transitioned out of that a little bit but i always go to their shows because they still always play their old stuff but yeah me being the you know resident ska aficionado uh are you fighting are you fighting someone else here for that title just out of curiosity no no that's that's something that i don't think anybody would fight over so you know what you, you know, Christy. What impresses me uh, about uh, Millennial Alex is is he's one. You're always very chipper, and two, you go to a lot more stuff than talent. Uh, talent never went to anything. I know, and it is. I feel like since it's Halloween, we should tell our favorite talent story and pour one out for our old buddy talent. I think we did. I tell this story the other day about the the uh, the haunted houses. Yeah, yeah. So two weeks ago, I think maybe you, it must have been the show that you weren't here. Um, um, but I actually and 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 I will let uh, let Alex speak for himself, but. Peter, our old producer, also a millennial, was named Talon, and he he lamented on this show, and I think it was two years ago. We spent a lot of time talking about Talon's love life, more t- more time than Talon would have liked us it's to true. spend. Hmm. But he mm-hmm. two years ago, before he had met his girlfriend, he went on a, like one or two dates with this girl over the course of Halloween, and, and he said on air, which will haunt him, and no pun intended, over, over Halloween, <laughs> for that, he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, in October, he's like, girls just date you for the free haunted house yeah, money, and just, then they don't call you back, just, and I'm like, they just want a free ticket get to the haunted to the spooky house, and then, and then they don't call you back, I'm like, is that a thing? It's, that seemed like a, it seemed odd to me. I think it was definitely <laughs> Talon's personal experience, but no? No, I, in my experience dating, it's you don't hear back from, you know, you go on a first date. It's great. Dead silence 
50% of the time. They're using you for the haunted house. Well, so so October is, they call it cuffing season, right? Like, mm. Yeah, that's so a thing. So that's a thing that the kids do. something. Yeah. Wait, Chris, Christy also used to write dating columns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so cuffing season is like when it starts to get cold. And so you want to, like, you've had your summer of fun and freedom and you want to, like, snug up next to someone on the couch and not spend the holidays alone and that sort of thing. So that's what the, that's what the kids call cuffing season. So I can see that that would start in October. But, I mean, there it, it is a possibility, Alex and Talon, if you're out there listening, that these girls just didn't like you and it didn't actually have anything <laughs> oh, to do with the haunted house. I, I fully believe that they don't like me, which is why they don't respond. It's just the fact that, that there's no courtesy to inform me. Right. Right? Well, that is and that's, terrible. You know, but you, like I said last week, you know, I feel like I can't really be mad when they do it in October because ghosting is festive. Oh, and so, but I'm, right. you know, October, it's a free pass. Go okay. ahead and do it. The rest of the time, at least give me a friendly like, hey, I just am not feeling it. Please People don't call me avoid again. uncomfortable conversations. Right. And so now that we've and yet done this, we have this every, every week. week. <laughs> But, like, now that we have this world in which you are not dating people within your social circle and you will probably never see them again, it's a lot easier to pretend, like, that conversation doesn't have to happen. That's what I think is going on there. I think you can always go out for a date to the library because there's probably something happening there, like a film or a ukulele class. It's a great place for a lot. lot, You see a lot of dates. We see a lot of weddings, too. A lot of proposals um, happen. Hey, but I got a million-dollar idea for Alex here if he wants to jump in on this, take the reins, um, entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, I've, I've read about these these cuddling clubs, you know, it's be, oh, kind yeah. of speaking to this, maybe the, the cuffing. cuffing season. Yeah. Is that, you know, people you know, hey, we have a human need for touch. And if we're if we're not dating someone or we're not in a, in a relationship, physical touch can be hard to come by. Right. And so there's these people are starting these clubs where it's non sexual cuddling and it's it's. Uh, you know, multi-gender, it's any gender, you just come together, they sit on couches, you just kind of snuggle up with each other, and you feel the, the bodily warmth of someone else, again, non-sexual. So here's what I'm thinking, you know, like we have uh, Tinker's Cat Cafe in That's town. That's exactly what I was right? thinking. Okay, mm-hmm. which is like probably a half a step in that direction, right? You yeah. get a little, little animal. It's perfect for experimentation. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're going to pause for a moment there and let go. that sink in. Um, so how about we start, you know, a, uh, a cuddling cafe? What do you I, think? I dig it. The Salt Lake Cuddle Puddle. So if this ah. is a thing with millennials and you guys are getting ghosted and all that, I mean, would, would, do you think you and your, your, your age group would, would come out to a cuddle cafe? I think it's entirely possible. I don't know. I'm not sure what the market is for that here. Like, it doesn't sound like something that I would participate in, but I know a lot of people that would. See, this is why I identify as Generation X, though, because I have zero interest in non-sexual touching. (laughs) (laughs) None. Boring. (laughs) But maybe we try it out as a library program first, or it could could be a a museum, you know. There you uh, go. Interactive. And the taxpayers (laughs) start calling now. Luckily, this is private. (laughs) That's You're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. Peter Bromberg, the executive director of Salt Lake City's public library chain. Uh, chain system. System is yeah, on. System. Um, and speaking of films, we are part of a two-hour block of culture here. Following us is the Movie Zone with Austin and Adrian talking about what's going on at our local cinemas. And so one of the things that I always ask the crew and our guests is... What 
what is one of your favorite films that pertains to your field of expertise? So is there a particular film wherein a library plays an important uh, an important I part? I believe that this is the question and not the like age old. <laughs> Is the book better than the movie, or what movie is better than the book? I, I mean, we can answer it, all those questions. I don't know a lot of movies about librarians, though. Or, or books, or I mean, didn't they went into a books. they went into a library in Dead Poet Society, didn't they? Oh, I'm gonna say Dead Poet Society. The Da Vinci Society. Code, I think, is about a book or something. <laughs> There's libraries in a lot of movies in uh, Foul Play, Goldie Hawn. I think it was a library, but it begins and ends with Party Girl, Parker Posey. <sighs> I right. haven't even thought about Party Girl in years. I mean, the scene where someone just puts a book on the shelf and she says, hey, and she just goes off on this person, you know, hey, we have, you know, we'll just put the books any damn place we choose. You hear that, everybody? We've got a better, she's got a better system. We'll just put the books any damn place we choose. Do we have to drop Great that or scene. no? Oh, no, damn's fine. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. You can just, you can bleep it out. Do we have to drop my line about non-sexual touching? <laughs> no, that's fine too. Okay. <laughs> I like you better than I like talent. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Party Girl was like the ultimate like moment in Parker Posey's like mm -hmm. mid 90s it girl mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked that movie a lot. What about you, Alex? So mine's a little bit more obscure. There's an of 80s movie. <laughs> an 80s movie written and I think directed by Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, called UHF. Oh, yeah. oh that's not oh, obscure. UHF. Alex, I you're just fell in love with you all over it. again. Nobody so you're just making <laughs> so, us feel old. So, okay. Yeah, You'll see it all on UHF. You see. Uh -huh. yeah. But uh -huh. the Conan the Librarian part, mm -hmm. like, just, yeah, that that whole scene is what's been on my mind the whole time we've been talking about this. Yeah. What about the, what about if we want to go music? What about the Music Man with Mary and the Librarian? Oh. It takes place in uh, Iowa. The fine state of Iowa. Trouble here. Right here in River City, with a capital T, it rhymes with P, it stands for pool. You know, they're checking out jokes from Captain Billy's Whizbang. <laughs> Anyways, so, Austin, um, I know you are a learned fellow. You can't pry the books out of your hand. So, Austin, as the learned gentleman you are, uh, what is your favorite movie that perhaps has a library or something for bibliophiles? Thanks, guys. Excited to have the Movie Zone coming up at the top of the hour. Movies about libraries. That is an interesting topic. Two come to mind. One from 2016 or 17 called The Public. Cast of characters like Alec Baldwin, Emilio Estevez, Taylor Schilling. Uh, check it out. It's pretty good. Uh, probably about a 7 out of 10 I'd give it. And uh, it's about a public uh, civil disobedience and protest uh, that involves a, a public library. So make sure you check that out. It's pretty good. And then the other one that comes to mind is the moment in Indiana Jones when he smashes through the floor of a library to get into the catacombs and continue the, the chase. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour, like I said, it is the movie zone. We've got six new movies opening this week at Megaplex Theaters that we'll preview, including the new Terminator. Uh, we'll also give you uh, guilty pleasure movies, movies you like probably more than you should and some movie news and rumors to round out the hour. Coming up at the top, it's the Movie Zone. Thanks. Back to you guys. You made a fine case. Uh, that's right. That was Austin. Stay tuned in the next hour for the Movie Zone coming up next, uh, talking about what's going on in the cinema world. Uh, Peter Bromberg, Executive Director of the Salt Lake City Library System. Uh, perhaps one might see a, a film at the library. 
Yeah, um, we actually have a fantastic partnership with the Utah Film Center. I want to give a, give a shout out to Patrick Hubley and the whole team there. Um, and, it, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention was the the film that's going to be showing this Saturday. But, of course, people are going to be listening to it Sunday. Sunday morning, yeah. So if you have access to a time machine, go back to Saturday um, and go to the library because there's a, a wonderful little film um, anyway, so yeah, we do a lot of films every Tuesday night um, with Utah Film Center. Um, we're also a Sundance location. And, and uh, you know, are those films, uh, does one pay for those films at the library? No. Really? Christian? Those films are free of charge? Something that an economist and an accountant's child must love the theory of. <laughs> Sun- Sundance, uh, yes, those, are, those yeah. are, you have to have a Sundance ticket. But our partnership with the Utah Film Center and every other film we show throughout the year is, is free. Sometimes we do them outside too. Ooh. In the summer. Really? Blow up screen, a lot of fun. And uh, are there snack options at the library? Oh, are there ever snack options? Yeah, we got Salt Lake Roasting Company and we have uh, Hemingway Cafe. You can get a soup, sandwich, salad, coffee, quiche, you know, the whole range. There is a great gift shop in the library as well. Like if you are looking for the gift for someone and you don't know. Like what to get them? That's full of cute little things that yeah. everybody would love. Thanks for mentioning that, Chris. Yeah. English Garden is a flower shop um, that also has gifts, and next to that is the uh, f- the library store, which is run by the friends. So it's used books and, and gifts too. We got it all. We got the salon. Can we get your hair cut? It's like UHF. You got Maine. it all. Right? Yeah. Uh, so we. I mean, I don't know that we've been explicitly talking about particular branches, but I feel like we've been talking quite a bit about the yeah. main library. So. Um, we're, we've only got a couple of minutes, and we have one mm-hmm. last segment that we always do. So in the last couple of minutes, and we talked about the neighborhood value of the libraries. Can you can we quickly run through uh, some of the places on the library? You don't have to hit them all. I <laughs> oh, mean, yes, even I though do. you are the executive director, and <laughs> oh, if you miss I need one. I pen. All right. There you go. <laughs> um, if I miss one, I'm how many li- How many libraries you got? Uh, we have eight altogether. Oh, well, then you should be able to do this. I'm already giving you the main library. <laughs> I mean that's that's like the that's like the star in a bingo card. You only got seven more. Yeah. No. So yeah, we have um, uh, Sprague and Sugar House neighborhood, which is currently under construction and renovation. But we we're in the old firehouse right across from Fairmont Park. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, Foothill Branch right up the road from there. Um, in the Foothills, serve a lot of university and graduate students there. Um, Sweet in the Avenues, um, great little branch there. Um, Chapman and Day Riverside in Glendale on our west side. Um, Glendale and Marmalade, uh, and Marmalade as well. Um, those oh, that's the new one. Yeah, so Marmalade and Glendale being our two newest, um, our two newest branches. Um, and Chapman being our Carnegie Library that we celebrated 100 years last year and gave it a real nice... Yeah. Uh, Real nice refresh, refresh there. Took a lot of care of that building. Yeah, b- bless our steel baron, railroad barons of four years mm-hmm. of yore. That's what <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for. Like I said, I grew up in a town with a Carnegie Library. So. Yeah, me too. There's nothing yeah. like one. Nothing like it. To Andrew, may he rest in steel or whatever. It was it because of that library that I applied to Carnegie Mellon when I was looking at colleges. Mm. But then my parents said I couldn't go out of state. So. Sorry. Sorry okay. we got your hopes up then with our now. Carnegie Library. I know. Um, okay, did we touch them all? Yeah, we did. I mean, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, you know, the vibe of each. We could do that. But each one has it, like you said, it's... It, it's a neighborhood thing, so each one has its own personality. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, whether it's the uh, the the history and sort of the traditional, 
ish feel of a Carnegie Library or whether it is the uh, you know the modern brand new spanking marmalade or the Moisha softy architectural mm-hmm. gem of which people mm-hmm. uh, travel um, all over uh, to for the main branch. Uh, they've all you know people should check them all out. Um, it's our last segment, Peter, and so uh, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I, being in the arts and culture vibe, I feel like our state does a great job uh, at the state level and even at the county level of marketing Salt Lake City as a place that you fly into, but then you rapidly get in a car and you go to national parks or you go skiing. Like We don't do a great job, I feel, of saying that Salt Lake City, the greater Salt Lake area, is a place to come as a cultural destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always say, I say shenanigans to that. So I always mm-hmm. ask everybody to... Pretend they've got a relative or a friend coming in from out of town, from Kentucky or Ohio or wherever it is they're coming in from, and be a concierge for a day and walk me through a list of of what in the greater Salt Lake area culturally from the, your coffee in the morning to your nightcap. Just walk me through a, a, a day of culture in Salt Lake City. Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I got to give the library a, sh- a shout you, out there, you of do. course, right? Um and I think you know Salt Lake City. I think is a is a, a wonderful walkable place. And actually, we just had a few hundred librarians in town for the Urban Libraries Council annual conference. Um, That's why the bars were so rowdy. Right on, absolutely. Um, All those hot girls in glasses. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses. Seldom. Seldom. Yeah. They oh, seldom, seldom, seldom make passes. Yeah. Uh huh. And, and so when, I, when I've had friends and colleagues in town, one of the things I like to do is actually just take a day just to walk around the city um, because the, the architecture is fantastic. There's a lot of historical buildings. Um, and some of the key places to go, of course, Temple Square mm-hmm. um, uh, is, 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 a, is a must-see. Uh, Brigham Young's old, you know, original mm-hmm. ha- home is there. Um, Umoka is, is, of course, a, you know, a must-see visit. Um, you know, Leonardo uh, is, is, is a, <laughs> you know, depending on, on what, what's happening there. Um, and, uh, you know, taking a film at the Tower Theater or, or the Broadway uh, for, for the film aficionados. You know, this is one like I feel like I'm, hmm, I'm not going to go up to Ensign Point. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll, yeah. give, I'll give you a couple more focus questions. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so you're taking somebody out to dinner, but it's a special occasion. It's a graduation mm. and anniversary. Okay. What's your special occasion dinner spot? So now you're going to put me on the spot and like name. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. <laughs> sure. okay. Well, you know, some of my favorite go tos are, are certainly Maza. Mm-hmm. Um, can't go wrong. Either the one on uh, 15th or, or 9th and 9th. Um, love going out to Bombay House for some good Indian food. Love going to uh, White Horse and Whiskey Street. Yeah, sure. On Main Street. Um, just actually. So had some friends in town and we, we had a beautiful dinner at uh, Cafe Molise. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful location. Um. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get bit here for not. Nah, much. <laughs> nah. Last but not least, where yeah. does where does Peter Bromberg go for the nightcap? For the nightcap, um, you know, I'd say like Whiskey Street has mm-hmm. been one of those places I've been going a lot more in my neighborhood. Ruin, mm-hmm. um, this fantastic uh, sure. little bar there, Amy Leninger. Shout and, out to Red and Amy. Yeah, yeah, great yeah. people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, undercurrent. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to Where I rescued your scarf from. You did, and I'm eternally grateful. That's why I'm, I'm on hero. the show because you know I owe, I owed you one. There you go. I have to scarf. imagine, not to make you feel bad, Peter, but you yeah. can't be the only man who's lost a jaunty scarf and undercurrent knowing their clientele. <laughs> it, has, it has to happen a couple times a week at least. So. Well, the takeaway from this is. Um, 
hopefully you've got your library card. If not, go get it. And, and mm-hmm. there's something going on at the library for you, whether it's a ukulele, a book, a sewing machine, a class on how to start a business, or a makerspace. Uh, mm-hmm. Cut a new demo, a record. There's something going on down there. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for being here today and for repping the Salt Lake City Libraries. Christy, uh, thank you for being my steadfast partner week in and week out. Millennial Pleasure to Alex, be here, as always. You're, you're picking up more and more. You're picking up more and more slack. I know that when I finally retire, you know, I think you're going to take Christie's chair. I can, I can see you. I can see you moving into talent. You know, you got happens gotta, to me in this scenario. You, you move into this chair. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought I was just no. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, you have spent another week listening to SLC Culture on AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. Stay tuned for Austin Adrian and the Movie Zone coming up next, and we will talk to you next week.